John 5, beginning at verse 16. This is God's holy and infallible word. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, this comes out of the healing at the pool of Bethshan, Bethesda, earlier in the chapter. He did these things on the Sabbath, this healing. The Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. And all the rest of this is really his answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father, He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. These next two verses now are going to be familiar to you. Most of the rest of this is maybe not. I tell you the truth, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Well, I have testimony weightier than that of John. See if I make it through. Verse 36, I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and that which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Remember, he's speaking to these legalistic religious leaders. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. 
But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? That is God's word for us this morning. So, like I was saying, kind of a long, dense, difficult bunch of verses. Maybe a little too much for a quiet holiday weekend, you think? What is this passage about? Well, you can see there's some great stuff about the divinity of Jesus. You know, Jesus is fully God, fully man. And remember, this comes after the healing of the pool of Bethshan. No, it's Bethesda, right? What do I keep? It's Bethesda. It's after that miracle. <laughs> sort of funny. It comes after this healing where the religious leaders get really mad at Jesus because he healed this disabled person on the Sabbath. So it's coming out of there. Verse 18, they get even more upset. In fact, they're trying to kill Jesus because he wasn't only breaking the Sabbath. Now, according to their definition of the Sabbath, remember, this was not God's definition of the Sabbath. Remember, these guys were legalists, and legalists can exist in all eras of the church. Legalists make extra laws, extra hoops for people to go through. And one of the important truths that the healing at the pool showed us was that salvation is not by what we do or don't do. It's by God's choosing, by God's sovereign grace, just as he plucked out that disabled man who wasn't even looking to Jesus for salvation. He was looking to the pool. But in addition to this Sabbath thing, the religious leaders start getting more upset because Jesus is saying he's equal with God. If you want to look to one of the Gospels to really emphasize the divinity of Jesus, a Gospel to take, let's say, Jehovah's Witnesses to, They'll either, if they come to your door, you know, they don't believe Jesus is God. They don't believe in the Trinity. Um, They try to make it sound like they're Christian, but you're not Christian if you don't believe in the Trinity and you don't believe Jesus is God. And what they'll do if they take you to the book of John is they will have their own translation of some of the stuff in John, or they'll just avoid areas, big areas of John, because the whole gospel again and again, shows us that Jesus is God. But there's got to be more going on in these verses than proofs for the divinity of Jesus, as important as it is. Because a seminary classroom might get really excited about that, but I'm not so sure that you would get really excited about that if this sermon was just proofs about the divinity of Jesus. It turns out, 
as I studied this passage, and it turns out on this lazy summer's weekend, I think we've been giving some, given something pretty special by the Holy Spirit in the Word, something totally unexpected for a weekend like this. We've been given something here, it's in the heart of the text, that's at the very heart of things for us as Christians. There's something in this text that's at the very heart and center of the Bible. It's at the very heart and center of the mission of the church and what is to be the mission of faith church. And it's at the heart and center of your faith life. It's at the very heart of things for you to have a faith that's alive. And it's the idea of hearing the voice of the Lord. Hearing the voice of the Lord. We have that exact language in verse 25. Hearing God's word. And this morning, we're going to take a look at hearing the voice of the Lord from those three perspectives I just mentioned. How it's the heart of the Bible, how it's the heart of the mission of the church, and how it's to be at the heart of our lives if we want a living faith. This idea of hearing the voice of the Lord, it's at the very heart of the Bible. It's emphasized again and again and again in the scriptures. The central confession of faith for the Jewish people, the Old Testament people, is what we call the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. And you'll find it in Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following. And it says, hear, O Israel, and then it goes on, the Lord our God is one. And it it goes on to give more about that confession. But it starts with, hear, O Israel. And Shema actually means hear. And the idea and emphasis on hearing is emphasized throughout the Old Testament. And it was in contrast to the religions that piqued the people's interest that were a little more exciting than God's faith sometimes, all of these idol gods and Baals, the religion of the day was visual in nature. It titillated people's senses. But the prophets came to bring God's word, and even the priests were to be the mouthpiece of the Lord. We could go through lots of texts in the Old Testament but that's where we're going to leave it for now in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the idea of hearing the Lord all comes to focus in Jesus. In John, this is made extra clear because we read at the very beginning of the book that Jesus is the Word become flesh. After all, he's called the Word. The miracles that we saw so far, all three of them were about Jesus Simply speaking his word, no other means but his word, and a miracle happened. The water turned to wine, the royal official son was healed, the lame man stood up and walked, all through the word of the Lord. In verse 46, I said the idea of hearing culminates in Jesus, and the word 
culminates in Jesus. In verse 46, Jesus talks about Moses and it reminds us of his conversation after the resurrection with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember that? And there, Jesus went through all of Scripture, Old Testament, Whole Testament, and showed those guys that all of the Bible is leading up to him and is about him. And then this all comes to focus in verse 24 that I highlighted in our reading. Whoever hears my word, in verse 25, those who hear the voice of the Son of God will live. So, our faith, faith in Jesus, salvation, eternal life, it's all bound up in hearing the word of the Lord. We could say this is the means, this is the instrument that God uses in a very profound and special way in faith and in salvation. Faith comes through hearing the word of the Lord. That's the witness of all of the Bible. So hearing the voice of the Lord also then is to be the heart of the church's mission. The heading in the NIV, starting in verse 31. Yeah, we're at the next one now. Um, It says, testimonies about Jesus. And we have there what we already talked about, that all the scriptures point to Jesus, testify to him. And also that if you don't believe the word of the Lord in the Bible, as the religious leaders did not, you're not going to believe the word made flesh. Jesus, verse 47 But then as the New Testament goes on, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, we have Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the disciples are empowered to go out and spread the word. And we have these letters to the churches, like to Corinth, to Ephesus, and ultimately they come to us here at Faith in Elmhurst. And what we find is that in the line of the apostles, In the church of all ages, we are entrusted with the word of the Lord. And and our job is to testify to that word. We share the word of the Lord today. We tell people, whoever hears the Lord, whoever hears his word and believes in Jesus will be saved. We get that word out. It's the central task of the church. It's our focus. It's our mission. And I've said this many times, I'm going to say it again. This is why we have the focus on God's word in the first part of our mission statement. Experience God's word. First could have been love, because love is very important. Love of God, love of one another in the church, loving those outside the church enough to reach them and bring them in, first also could have been service because being servants and serving God and others and especially serving people in need, that's all really important. But a greater focus, a greater priority, the heart of the mission of the church is that people hear the word of the Lord. And it's because in hearing the word of the Lord that you get faith. 
And through faith comes salvation and life. And then out of that comes love. And out of that priority comes service and spiritual growth and outreach and fellowship and being who God calls us to be in our marriages and families and at work. I think you know that, and that's why you're here even on a lazy holiday weekend. Isn't it? You know you need to hear the word of the Lord. I know I need to hear the word. You need the voice of the Son of God himself to speak to you, to fill you, to meet you in whatever need you have, and there are many. You need him to save you, to give you life so that you can give life to others. And again, I've said it before but I'm going to say it again. The central way we hear the word of the Lord as a church is to have word-based worship. And that extends to our songs, our prayers, our celebration of the sacraments, our testimonies of what God is doing here and in our lives. And that especially has to do with how we preach and the importance we place on preaching in our church. How especially, think about this, How especially does a Christian's faith grow and get built up? And do we become stronger believers? That's what what you want in your life because you're Christians. I, I know you want that. So how does your faith grow and get built up? And how do you get stronger? Just day by day. Is it random? Is it just mystically somehow the Holy Spirit zaps us in our cars or when we're out on the boat fishing? The Holy Spirit does work wherever he pleases and touches us. There is a mystical, mysterious element to faith in God's work. But the Bible also teaches that faith Belief is built up by the Lord himself, by the Holy Spirit, through the word. And again, you're listening to a sermon now, so I sense you realize that. Let me affirm your decision to be here and every Sunday that you are to hear God's word. Sometimes, I know, Some of you feel discouraged, like you're some of the only ones who feel that public worship is important anymore, that there are too many people missing this idea of the hearing God's word and the word-centered faith of the Bible, and you can feel discouraged about that, and you feel like the commitment level is not there among people as it should be. I want to encourage you to stay the course. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, says Jesus. Hearing the word has been God's way throughout all of time to build up our faith, to in fact create faith in us, and to bring salvation through it 
by his grace. You're making the right decision no matter what others are doing. And don't get me wrong. I've also said this many times. I'm not saying there are no other avenues to us being built up in the faith. There are all kinds of great ones. Being out in nature is one. Listening to great Christian music at home or in your car is one. Artwork, all kinds of ways that God uses to build up our faith. I'm not saying this is it. I'm saying this is the priority. This is the foundation. This, and it has to stay the priority for those other things to work. If you don't have this at the foundation, you can't expect it just to happen sort of randomly out there. There's an article in Christianity Today recently that says one of the top reasons for decline in worship attendance in America's churches is, what do you think? It's children's sports. One of the top reasons for decline in worship attendance in America's churches. If there's a choice between worship or sports, increasingly sports are winning out. But friends, for people who know that hearing the word engenders faith and brings life, well, the choice becomes very clear, doesn't it? And that leads us to our final point about hearing the voice of the Lord. And that is that the hearing the voice of the Lord is the heart of your personal faith life. And it gives life and energy to your personal walk with God. It's not only the primary thrust of all the Bible culminating in Jesus. It's not only the central task and mission of the church propelled outward by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and carried forward today by the apostles and us. It also gives life to our own faith personally. And what verse 24 presents us with is a personal statement, and it calls for a personal response. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. We hear the Lord, we're called to believe Jesus and will have eternal life, will not be condemned. Condemned? Why would we be condemned? Why such harsh language? Well, the Bible teaches that we would be condemned because of the results of our own sin. The Bible says sin separates us from a holy God. But when we believe in Jesus through the word, we have this image of a bridge, actually, as verse 24 goes on. Crossing over from death to life. And I failed to bring up what I was going to, which is a little pamphlet. It's about this big. I've had it up here before, but it's been a while. It's always on our welcome center. I just used this pamphlet again a couple of weeks ago with someone. It's called The Bridge to Life, and it's based on this text, this crossing over from death to life. And what you have in that pamphlet, and it's based on this text, it's a simple, clear presentation of the gospel, the way to salvation, 
tells us why we need Jesus. And I'd encourage you to be familiar with it, to keep it handy. It's a great tool to walk through the heart of the gospel with folks. They're always on the welcome desk in the back. I asked the office to make a few extra this Sunday so you can take one. It's on the welcome center. As important as our call is to get the word out about Jesus, his word has got to get in us too. In you and in your heart and mine so that you yourself have crossed over. Cross that bridge, this area and place of sin. God is here. The bridge to life shows us a picture of the cross filling this huge chasm that sin creates. And through the cross, the word about Jesus, we may cross over. Truly hearing the word is listening with the ear, but then it's sinking into our hearts. And our prayer as a church is that the Holy Spirit would bless the word that is heard and that goes out with that goal, even in your own life and in this congregation, so that you and I have made that crossing from death to life. Matt and Nikki want that for their boys. That's why they brought this little one before God and his people today. And we trust that as we faithfully bring ourselves and our children to hear the word, we trust that they will hear the voice of the Lord himself and respond and believe. And when that happens in the Tazilar family, and when that happens in your heart, then you have life. Verse 25, I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Talks about people in the graves coming out. It's talking about something that hasn't yet happened. The final resurrection, Jesus' second coming, eternal life in heaven. But it's not just something off in the distance for when you die. We read this life is for now. A time is coming and it's already come. What that means is this is the good life now. This is how to have a faith and a life that's spiritually alive. This is the way to raise your family, hearing the voice of the Lord. This is the way to get direction for your future, hearing the word. This is the way to guide your relationships, hearing the very voice of the Son of God. This is where you'll find comfort and assurance in times of challenge, hearing the word of the Lord. The heart of the Bible and a key to reading it 
the heart and core of the mission of the church, the key to a faith that is spiritually alive, hearing God's word, and so believing in Jesus and having life now, forever. May we be a people of the word of God here at Faith Together.